0: Hey there, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this, the very first podcast of A Pint with Shoney B. I guess episode one is probably as good a place as any to give you all a bit of the ambition behind what we're trying to achieve uh, with the thing. Essentially, uh, one of my observations is that there are a lot of regular folks, certainly people I've met and talked to over the years, who have lived or are living brave, interesting and creative lives, and yet we never really get to hear from them. So, you know, how their background and their upbringing forged the path they went down, uh, what decisions they took that made all the difference to their life, what ideas they have to change the world in which we live, what wisdom they've garnered, and looking back perhaps what they might change or what advice they might offer up to those following in their footsteps. I'm going on a bit of a journey myself here too, and don't know where this is going to lead. Um, it might be done and dusted by two episodes, but... I'm content to let the podcast travel in whatever line or course it takes. And at the outset, I'm going to try and get to talk to creative people, architects, writers, advertising people, uh, folks who work in TV, film, um, and generally, as I said, people who have simply led interesting lives. Also, it's worth mentioning that the title of the podcast, A Pint with Shawnee Bee, is also a comment uh, really on the, the format I'm looking to follow um, I feel this world has just all gone twattery-twittery in terms of sound bites, and we're losing a sense of depth of analysis somewhere. And so each show will be around half an hour long, where hopefully I can get to the heart of each life journey, uh, where possible in a relaxed and chatty environment over a pint of something. So anyway, we'll see where it takes us. This is episode one, and I am extremely honoured to have been given the chance to sit down with one of Ireland's greatest living musicians, Mundy is a true rock star, a guy who needs absolutely no intro to any of you tuning in from Ireland. Uh, but to those overseas who may not have heard of him, he's a guy who's been at the forefront of the Irish and indeed international music industry for over two decades. He's been compared to Bob Dylan, Springsteen, and is one of those folks who has carried the mantle of a lot of the Irish acts of the 80s and 90s that followed in the footsteps of U2, so I'm talking about bands like The Waterboys, Into Anua, Hothouse Flowers, etc. He's a genuinely good guy, great, great storyteller, and one of the world's hardest-working musicians. Uh, you'll hear the record industry put him on a pedestal very early in his career and then tore him off it just as quick, but he didn't quit and has kept going, and I think tonight's episode is a real example of the need for not just grit, but belief in your art. Uh, for thousands of Irish folks, his anthemic songs, and he has many, many of them, have literally been the voice of a generation. So it's genuinely a real privilege that Mundy agreed to be my launch guest here, and you may hear some tinkly-tonkly Chinese music in the background, which is a bit random. But that's because we recorded the podcast in one of Dublin's most legendary Chinese restaurants and one of my favourite Chinese restaurants in the world, which is Kite's in Ballsbridge. Anyway, without further ado, the first episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Let's hear it for and from Mundy. Mundy, how are you?
1: Very good, thanks. Do you like the surroundings? I do. Um, (laughs) I like 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 the fact we're on the first floor. (laughs) And you can see... uh, where we are, ball's bridge from another, rather than sitting in traffic.
0: One of the things we're going to do today is I've asked Money to bring along some of his songs that he feels are very important to him that may may have been overlooked. Monday is famous for having probably five or six anthems that he's probably sick and tired of playing half of them, but they're famous, famous songs like uh, Mexico, Ty Bestow, July, Galway Girl... If, you're, if you've are if you never heard of Monday, I'd urge you to download them immediately from iTunes. But I'm going to ask Monday. he may pick one of those, I haven't uh, cleared this with him, but I want him to pick some songs that he feels maybe have been underplayed in his career, and we're going to use those as musical stings throughout the interview. So, what's your first choice?
1: My first is, um, it's from my new album, and um, it's Sarah of the Slopes. But it's written about your wife? Written about my wife, but it's, right. the reason I'm picking it is because... It's catchy, but it's—I think the lyrics in it are very heartfelt. But I don't know if I could ever play it on radio, or if it could ever be a single, so to speak. But I think, yeah, I'm going to go for that one, and I'm going to work backwards. Brilliant. Okay, well,
0: we're going to listen now to Sarah of the Slopes.
2: at uh- He came, lived in... It-
0: Excellent, Serve of the Slopes, uh, as I said before, available on iTunes for 99 cents, so buy it now. Monday has uh, produced five studio albums, is that correct? Six. Six studio yeah. albums, um, that's my uh, research gone askew there. No,
1: no, no, five originals. Five yeah.
0: originals, oh okay, oh, yeah. so no, you're talking about uh, Shuffle. Yeah, Shuffle, shuffle, yeah, shuffle. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go, it. so I did a bit of research. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Um, so t- take me back to, before we get into your uh, actual uh, album recordings, uh, what age did
1: you start playing? be honest, I think about five or six years of age, my parents bought myself and my brother a a K, was the brand guitar, it was from Santi really, but uh, it was for my brother and myself, and um, I kind of, believe it or not, uh, had a way of tuning it that I thought was melodic or whatever, and open, like this is weird, it was open tuning and there was dots on the guitar up at the neck, and I used to play these three chord songs with one finger, and I'd write them down like, you know, five or six in scribble. But, like, I was listening to the, to the Shake and Stevens and stuff like that. But I really I really got stuck in when I was 14. So you're from, and so you're from the Midlands, from Offaly. Yeah, from Burr County, Offaly. And your parents were publicans. Yeah, uh, my dad grew up in a bar about eight miles from Burr, and uh, his dad was a publican. Then he met my mum, and then they moved to Burr. Uh, she's from Longford. And they opened up a pub together in 1969 called Enright's Tavern. So did
0: that give to the did the fact that you had public a pub as a, was that a, a, your first big
1: venue when you were younger? Did you play? Yeah, the pub? I did. Uh, I remember I bought a couple of guitar books. One one was like Complete Guitar, one, two, three, and four. You know, I had um, "Blowing in the Wind." I had what was the "We Are Sailing" by Rod Stewart. I had about three songs down right. in the living room off the pub. I was about fourteen, and my dad said, "You're ready." I was like ready for what and he goes go out to the pub and play, you know so uh he says you can learn the rest of them in front of people. so my Excellent. career has kind of been like that ever since. And did been, you get money like would you uh well I, at that stage, I was getting pints of coca-cola probably and packets of dry <laughs> packets of dry roasted peanuts, but um Fast forward maybe a year and a half. This is your Hamburg period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely you got tight. <laughs> but pa- ra- past, yeah, my manager was tight. My dad was tight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but fast forward a couple of years, I was I was playing around the Midlands with, with, with uh, some friends of mine. And we were we were p- playing for pints, and then there was pints and money. Then it was just, do you know, what we don't want pints. We'll just have the money, right? And then what about the guys who you're playing with? Uh, So my first band was called Stage Fright uh, in school, Blind Vision were in fifth year. Long story short, I ended up leaving Stage Fright, joined Blind Vision and then we would started playing lots of acoustic, Americana, Raggle Taggle, stuff like the Waterboys and R.E.M. and a lot of Dylan and Simon Garfunkel. And we started playing around all day, like busking competitions. One of the things I wanted to ask about,
0: like at this point in your career when you're toying with maybe the idea of being a musician, I've touched on these points a lot about living in Ireland back in the day where I always felt there was, if you wanted to do something out of the ordinary or you wanted to do something that not a lot of other people did, there was always people telling you why
1: you are wasting your time and why you shouldn't get a proper job. Did you have that happening in your life? Uh, my dad took me up to Dublin one day when I was about... 17 I think and he took me out to, to, to Glenageary to this woman I had to do a lot of aptitude tests and yeah. whatnot um, to see what way my brain was and all that and my dad uh, she said to him he's creative there's no doubt about it if, you know, if he wants to do something creative that's where he Brilliant. has to go he's not academic he's not you know, he's, his brain isn't working that way and on our way back we stopped off at Mother Hubbard's or somewhere like that one of those truck stops and, yeah. and he bought me a pint of Guinness he didn't even ask me what I wanted and he said uh Go ahead. What a great story. And it gave me some sort of um, now I now I realise where you're at and here's the point. I know and by the way, I know you've been drinking all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. so that was up to there and um, but my dad always said, you know, you gotta, I mean, he did try to get me to do, um, he wanted me to be a hairdresser at one point. He wanted me to be... He <laughs> no, didn't do that. Yeah, he wanted me to be, uh, he wanted me to probably run the pub. Oh. Uh, he wanted me to get into the equestrian army was one thing because I was mad I was like show jumping right yeah heavily into it you know I used to get up every morning before I went to school for between the age of I'd say 9 and 16 I was up every morning like uh, 6am riding out horses before I went to school loved it I have to say it was a great upbringing for the music industry to be around uh, horse dealers and Sh- shysters we're gonna
0: come on to that yeah, yeah. this must be a good time to uh, ask for your second song because mm-hmm. we're about to now move into you leaving your childhood and, uh, and, and and getting your big break so what song would you pick as your second song and
1: Another, I'm gonna you know because people say to me you know you're known for all your upbeat songs and you know the, the, people kind of forget sometimes that I can do the other thing quite well too and um, I lived in London for a year I spent a lot of time in London when I got my record deal but uh, um, there was a massive, big uh, car pound, you know, where they keep all the cars from the inner city of London um, up near uh, Ladbroke Grove, and I saw a lot of poor kids and just a lot of tenements around there. And I wrote this song about a boy wanting to run away, basically um, from school, uh, from his family. And run, you know, his dad is an alcoholic and his mum's not able to keep up with it all. And I wrote this song and kind of has a little bit of a Bit of bruce bit of nebraska bruce in there too i don't know so it's three o'clock on monday there's one more
2: hour of school there's nothing in my lunchbox the teacher's lost his cool i'm staring out the window i can't wait to be free free of all this bullshit to act out my dreams Meet me at the car pound With some cans of spray paint I can't bring some cigarettes Cause mama's gone away And daddy's playing poker He don't care anyways He's been out since Friday Squandering all his praise Tonight I plan to make it To be free at last Free of all this bullshit To hike up my mast I'll write you when I get there I'll send you my address Cause I have got to get this Lorry off my chest Meet me at the car bound with some Kansas spray paints. I can't some cigarettes. Cause mama's gone away. And daddy's playing poker. He don't care anyways. He's been out since Friday. Squandering all his pay. He's been squandering all his pay. And you can bring your girl along Well if she brings a lovely friend And we'll show them what us town boys Do with time to spend And bring some Coca-Cola I found a bit of whiskey Cause it could be a long time Till I'm back here with you It could be a long time Till I'm back here with you Meet Me, at in a car found with some Kansas spray paint I can bring some cigarettes, cause mom has gone away.
0: Okay, that was Carpan. Carpan is a song, actually, uh, money that I have written down on my piece of paper in front of me because it was one of the songs I picked out and wanted to talk to you about. Because one of the themes in a lot of your music, and we're going to come back to the timeline in a minute, but uh, is is this running away from? I mean, I I, I, I talk about uh, you know this yearning to get away. Ten thousand miles is a song. A thousand Miles Away is a song that I've, I really associated with because I presume you're talking about Australia mm. uh, or wherever it is but I, yes. I I went to Australia and I yeah. ran away and you're, yeah. you're 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 away from harm and you're away yeah. and you're exploring the world and a lot of those themes come through a lot of where does that come from is that just about getting out of Burr or is it about getting out of Ireland or is it it's about a bit getting everything. out of your head or?
1: Yeah. it's just I mean for me we all want to get away I mean I want to get away from myself most of the time yeah. um, you know as life goes on you're that key ring You get extra keys that you don't necessarily want to have, yeah. and there's responsibilities that come with it. And sometimes a week can be quite intense. That you just want to blow off some steam at the end of the, at the end of the week or whatever. But um, I love it as well that
0: you you said this about a lot of your songs. Is this and it's a very humble thing where you say. You know, it's a rock star thing to say as well. But you say that you know this is not my song anymore, yeah. where you where, where you where you're actually on stage and people just know it as backwards as you know it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that,
0: you, be, that and that you say that I give this to you. It's like I mean,
1: well, that came out that came about from this uh, lady I know, uh, Sarah Kyo, who uh, she's from Toronto. But she, when I recorded "Raining Down Arrows," I, I was going through the end of a relationship, so all the songs are about wanting to rebuild something or else just wanting to uh, destroy it or else wanting to you know it was very hard there's loads of different emotions love and confusion by your side one minute you want to anyway long story short we did break up the album came out went to number one and I just went from one gear into another concerts were being sold out I did like something like 13 sold out concerts in Dublin in a year which is pretty phenomenal you know it's very hard to even do one now from, for a lot of artists but anyway I started having really bad panic attacks because I was having to go out on the stage and sing about basically my biography and I wasn't I, was going, I wasn't I was even in the healing process yet and you're I just living had, it every night yeah and it was actually just haunting me And does it get to a point
0: where the where the words just become a blur and you're not well this is shocked. what happened
1: so she so she said to me um, one night she said, there will be a point when when people will sing them back to you that you won't own them anymore and she said, "That's when that's when you'll have healed." Brilliant. So about a year after that, the healing process begun because people started learning the words of them, and then, and then and then that's why that's why in July uh, at that oxygen concert, I said, uh, "This song isn't mine anymore. This is yours now, or whatever." Yeah. So that's kind of what I meant by that and it was kind of like letting myself know that it's not mine lovely emotionally you know yeah so. Braining
0: Down Hours was 2004 so we jumped on a bit there but we mm. go back we got to go back to how you how did the boy who was having a pine with his dad in a truck stop
1: end up uh, launching Jelly Legs in 1996 so I had written a bunch of songs and I would start going out with an American Girl when I was 16 it was very inspiring she was from Sedona, Arizona and uh, I wrote some really good songs uh, in this period about her. Uh, but it was a crucial point because um, I'm like 16, 17, 18, 19. So when I'm about 19, the the girl uh, who I was going out with, she's uh, deciding to leave me. Her visa is only a three years long or something like that, so yeah. it's inevitable, and I'm not going to be able to move to America. So... Um, I went down to the International one night, and Dave Murphy said, uh, there's two guys from England who've flown over to see you. And I said, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, well, they're A&R guys. I've never seen them before, but uh, they've heard about you. So I went down to the bar, and there's two guys. There's a black guy and a white guy. And I said, uh, how are you doing? They're like, we heard, we've heard. we heard about you in London. So I, I said, well, I'm going to be playing in about 10 minutes. And they came up and saw me, brought me back down, and they said, i um, we were really interested. We think you've got some great songs. Blah, blah, blah. I think that all came from the fact that I was no longer going to be going out with the girl, and also it came from the fact that there was a, there was a great buzz happening in Dublin at the time, and uh, and I and I felt that basically people were saying I had some really good songs. So there was about eight, eight record companies wanted to sign me. Then all of a sudden, wow! What did that feel like? It was amazing. Think you made it. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really like it to be honest because I didn't think I was ready. Then all of a sudden, I'd met Hazel O'Connor, the great singer. Yeah. from From she's still a great singer, of course. But uh, she um, became friendly with me, and then she had a friend who wanted to manage me, Sally, who became my manager. And then it was literally from one day I was the two A and R guys to, to like within three or four months. Uh, I was on tour with Alanis Morissette fairly quickly it it was a bit of a whirlwind lawyers panic attacks all sorts (laughs) of stuff all this great stuff was happening I was also uh, healing a broken heart as well yeah how did the album then come out of that so well basically I went home one weekend and I said to my dad I'm signing publishing deal with Warner Chapel for uh, 40 grand and he said uh, hold on pause I gotta come up and meet your manager I gotta come and meet everybody record label you know everybody so he just um, I guess he freaked out as much as I did and um, and there was money at stake here so as a dad that hasn't hasn't a clue about music can't even sing a note this is pretty uh, alarming you know so um, it all happened anyway I I had one of the biggest agents in uh, in the UK um, and I ended up uh, supporting Neil Young Wow. When I was 20, down in the, the uh, Old Point Depot. Mad. Met Neil Young. It was all bloody crazy. So uh, I met Mick Jones from The Clash. Didn't even know who he was. He was just <laughs> drinking drinking my rider in my dressing room. It's all bizarre. But uh, anyway, it went up and down, up and down for a while. I started recording the deal or the, the album when I was 20. And it came this out is with was with Sony. Yeah. right. And it came out when I was 21. So and then what happened? Oh, a lot of my friends kind of... I started being treated really weird around Dublin. Absolutely like a star by some people.
0: This old tall poppy thing? We well,
1: had. it was like I was getting into clubs that I had to usually queue up for. Uh, to, I was getting it for free. I was saving up to get into most of these places. There was friends of mine who couldn't look me in the eye anymore. And then there was friends of mine. Why not? Because I guess there was a bit of jealousy. I was even starting out with a girl and she, was, she couldn't handle it. And it's weird. I've reacted like that around other people who are, who've had, had success, and you don't know what it is. And it's 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 envy. You know what I mean? Um, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I would have been friendly with uh, Glenn Hansard around the time I got signed, but he would have just after getting dropped from Island Records, because that's a massive kick in the in the teeth and in, in the heart uh, when you get dropped. Um, so why did you get dropped? So you, you produced your first album. So did my first album,
0: Jelly Legs. Then there was this song on that album called To You I Bestow, which yeah. went absolute apeshit, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, they spent a lot of money on me. They spent a quarter of a million altogether uh, between my first album and my second album on flights, sending me stupid taxis out to the airport, hotels for the management, tour tour support, advertising, printing of records. So that there was all that, and my advance included... But they want me to make a second record, which ended up being coming, becoming 24-star hotel. But it was while you were making that they decided to drop? Yeah, I got dropped with about another 300 bands. I wasn't, I wasn't okay. solely let go. This There's, was
0: when Sony were in deep doo-doo, because they were just being hammered, right, as a company all over I, the world.
1: I believe so, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, but I took it very personal, you know, because I think they all kind of knew that there was a big thing coming. Everyone's... You know, my manager would know another manager would know another manager. Going, oh, this looks like things aren't looking good for us all. But what happened with them was they let go all of us. I was a singer songwriter who came out during Britpop as an Irish guy, which wasn't very marketable. But then, as I, after I got dropped, David Gray went mega. And you a toured songwriter. with him, right? Yeah, and I toured with him. But it was just bad timing in their part because what I was doing became trendy. then. yeah.
0: So it was like a kind of a, it was a it was a. You know, bang! I've made it, and then literally,
1: bang! I've I got about. I think I got about three years of bang. I made it. You know, feeling the power. We're talking of, nineteen 20, twenty 21 19, Yeah, it's like yeah, 1996, 97, 98, I I was on a high. I toured the world more or less. I did gigs with the Manic Street Preachers around then. Found a man, Neil Young. I think what happened with me was I was t- I was so young. I didn't really have any appreciation didn't understand that it was going to stop didn't understand that um did it get to your head a bit well it did in a good way right my manager Sally had a great way of saying go out and you know kill it tonight you know you're, you're sexy you're a rock star you know or but yeah. not in a not in a, like a, an LA yeah, cheesy yeah, yeah. way but she had that way of making me feel good about myself yeah when I did when I wrote a good song she was like that's a winner That is amazing, right? right? Is that important? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Because when you don't have... As a solo guy, I don't have a band. I have a band who back me up, but we don't write together or anything like that. It's a lonely, very lonely creative process, you know, going out there on a limb on your own. Uh, You become very emotionally attached as well, and that can be a problem as well. And You you love each other as, as buddies, and then your managers, and you're like... Uh, after seven years you know f- myself and Sally stopped working together that was that was the ha- one of the hardest things that I ever did was telling her listen I think uh, we should call it a day you know and uh, we're and still we're still mates I did it because um, there was a lot of getting tapes flung back at you from the A&R guy on those songs aren't good enough There's a lot of rejection Did the A&R guys know anything really at the end of the day no like I mean I went back to the guy I signed with to his house one night and he had more CDs unopened than he had opened that, that was a massive alarm bell, you know. And you don't know, you don't know. And I was a pain in the ass to work with too. I you know, don't get Why were you wrong. A pain, Yeah, because I, I thought I had more than I probably did. You know, um, I I wasn't interested in collaborating with people back then. I was only like twenty, and I didn't understand that you could actually write a love song with somebody you didn't know. You know I thought everything had to come from the heart. Like the, there was no faking it for me now it's all about faking it you know <laughs> and, and, and in fact it probably always has been about faking it probably a good time to pick your uh, third song okay I'm gonna pick uh, healthy because this is one that um it's about a moment that I have kind of been in but not really been in but a lot of people can identify with it and I never I never really say what it's about but I give it's kind of raunchy I suppose and Leonard Cohn would have some sort of an influence on this one, and there's a chord sequence near the end of it that I'm pretty proud of that I came up with. I'm um, so healthy.
2: What she said before they come back in I tell you this and it is true I've never tasted skin So soft and smooth and brown and soft The tremor of the heart And be healthy and this isn't all no no but it is amazing could it be because it is wrong?
0: Okay, that was healthy. Um, We're now at a stage in Mundy's career where he has come from the dizzy heights of uh, Sony record deal, Jelly Legs, the album, and he's now back, having just produced his second album in 2002, 24 Star Hotel. Yep. Uh, Which you you then set up your own uh, record label.
1: That was the only option at the time. Um, We knew we were dropped by Sony or Epic Records. There was a lot of jiggery-pokery and we couldn't shop it to anybody. So basically, I had this CDR in my bedside drawer with no writing on it. So, Sally, the lady who was managing me, kind of had lost interest in this album at this point because um, she chopped it around and none of the labels came back. And I was kind of told by my lawyer basically that I should change my name because I was probably damaged goods. Wow. Um, now, how did you feel that? Did you feel like chucking it at any stage? I moved from London back to Dublin then, and I hadn't done any. I wasn't really allowed to do gigs in Ireland because they didn't really care about Ireland. Thought Ireland was going to happen anyway. When I came back to Ireland, I, I just started playing these songs because I was kind of sick of playing the Jelly Legs ones. And I could see people tapping their foot, clapping their hands, nodding, harmonising to, to July and to Mexico. And I was like, "There's fucking there's there's life in this." Yeah, I mean,
0: they're two of your biggest anthems. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, like I brought I brought in those two songs to EMI over here, and I said, "Listen, them." Um, I'm putting these out as a double A-side single. Will you put them out with me? And they said, "Oh, they're good songs, but we have to re-record them and remix them, right?" And I said, "No, no, no. They're produced. They're mixed. They're mastered. You just have to put your EMI stamp." So already within five minutes of my meeting with them, they already had uh, me owing money to them. Of course. So this is so this is my big realization that once you're once you're in debt, they have by the have by, by the gonads, you know. How so I decided, I, decided, I decided myself and Sally actually we put out an EP uh, called The Moon as a Bullet Hole and she said what do you want to call the label and so Camcor is the river that runs through my hometown through Burr so I called it Camcor Recording and we put out the EP and then I split up uh, with her um, business wise and uh, I just put it out and people just started here in July and it just became and were you making money then on this starting
0: to make money right because like there's sure. huge payback, obviously, you own yeah. everything, yeah. I mean, that song, July, I mean, I, I always had this, I think I mentioned in the intro, that you were this sort of voice of a generation, and I, the generation's probably two generations behind me, given that you're one behind me. <laughs> right. Just Irish people who were, Irish kids who were turning, you know, late teens, just as the millennium turned. And, I mean, that song, to me, is, you You, you put, it puts me in Dublin in July, and I'm born in July, so I kind of have a affinity with the month anyway. But
1: I thought it was an unfinished song. I thought the chorus was absolutely too throw away, I thought. And um, I wrote it in wintertime in Rannellet, uh, number 79, Marlborough Road. I came up with this riff on the guitar and it just sounded so summery to me. Anyway, I was like, wow, this is this could be my chance. So I was like, July, please. i July, you know. I had no chorus. I was like, oh, my, 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 oh my, my, July. And I was like, now I need to go. It's a, the, you know, changed from the. Well, I just kept singing on oh, my mama and uh, went back with my new list of songs to the record company and they said, everything is okay, but this one's really good. And I was like, but it's unfinished chorus. And they're like, you have enough weight in your verses yeah. to let go in the chorus. Yeah.
0: It's funny, and, Bono says the same thing when he's trying to write to, to, to music. He he just riffle, he skiffles a Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I think up, you have to. Yeah, yeah. he makes up. Uh, well,
1: there's some stuff I've listened back to on my. Um, on my iPhone, like voice notes or whatever, and um, you're just gobbledygooking, yeah. you know, and uh, it's quite embarrassing if anybody ever That's found a good name it for
0: a song. Gobbledygooking,
1: gobbledygooking. yeah, gobbledygooking, <laughs> yeah. Um, John Lennon can write that one, yeah, because <laughs> he's dead. Gobbledygooking, but um, no. So uh, one never knows when the song is going to appear and whether it's going to be have Velcro uh, powers. Stick. So you never, at any stage, said
0: this is all getting a bit too hard. Recently. <laughs> okay, we're going to come to recently, but back then, no, you were still determined. This is going to work, and, and
2: well,
1: it was easy. I mean, when
0: did you start touring out of Ireland? Was that around?
1: Oh, well, like the Jelly Legs took me out of Ireland. I mean, that was the states. We did France about five times. Did the UK about six times, uh,
0: and that must have been fun amazing yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean my dad I, I just started reading Wonderland Avenue which is a book about the doors written by Danny Sugerman when I was about 14 the same copy of that book went around the whole school and it was signed everybody signed it if he they, would if read it uh, my dad started reading it at the same time and he's going what? He's, it's all sex drugs and rock and roll he's yeah. like I hope you're only um, you know I mean, well, what are you reading this stuff for I hope you're, yeah, yeah. you're not interested in and I said no not at all it's just a good book about a good band and he rang me five or six years later and I'm in a limousine (laughs) in LA Brilliant. my first and last time in LA and he said where where are you and I said you would not believe where I am I'm driving down Wonderland Avenue in the back Mm -hmm. of a white limo and he was like wow and uh, is he proud of you he is yeah I mean my parents have stood behind me to thick and thin um, always encouraged me to come to my gigs not all the time but I remember I played the Olympia one like years ago sold out and my mum was in one of the boxes but it was like a nature program the, the energy she was it was like uh, mommy, mama baboon right pounding her chest really sending really? sending the energy down to me down the stage that? I could see it wow nothing I could feel I could see it why did you say you, feel it was it.
0: your first and
1: last time in
0: LA because I'm not a big fan either what what
1: uh, well, it was the last time I was in LA. Oh, <laughs> and it was my first time. Back, right? uh, no, I don't. i don't, not, uh, I think if I have to go back, it'll be because of business. I don't have yeah. any desire to go there otherwise. Right. I what think were your favorite part and memories of touring in America? I love New York. I love Kansas City. I love San Francisco. Because you played for Obama.
0: you? Played for Obama. I played in the White House. Yeah, yeah
1: in in, uh, in Washington. That was a great experience. I love the randomness. I think you know people say America's the land of opportunity. Probably for some, it's the land of misopportunity, too. But um, I just think there's something about America that um, if you don't show up, if you're not in the lotto, you know, you're not in it. Uh, Anytime I showed up, certain good things have happened. Did, Did your life
0: change in a way that you said, okay, I had me big bite at the apple and now I'm going to do something? different or did you ever have that sort of thinking or did it did life just pass roll on or you know what where was your head at and you got married in those yeah. days you had children so so where what,
1: d- after raining the iras went to number one there was a great this was like 2004 so we're coming into the boom now in ireland yeah, yeah. and um just there's a lot of money around it, and there's a lot of people wanting to go to concerts and there's an irish movement just everybody's getting a, a, a good run at it my live set was got to a point where it was just, this is perfect now, we've got to capture this. And I'm selling out Vicker Street, so... We got camera crew in and we filmed it, we did a tour and we did five dates and that was our last night. But I, I none of my friends were in town because they are all busy. Like, none of my musical friends, Damien Dempsey or Glenn or whoever. So basically I just rang Sharon Shannon, who I'd just become friends with, and I said, listen, will you come up to Dublin and we'll do Galway Girl just to, uh, last last song? So um, let's
0: talk a bit about Galway, girl. Yeah. Well, we, yeah,
1: well, so we yeah, so we we um, we only met each other. We met each other after a Sinead O'Connor concert one night. And, Just and to
0: say to uh, overseas listeners, uh, Sharon Shannon is a uh, um, fantastic traditional uh, Irish music. She's known as uh, the jimmy hendrix of the accordion Mundy and herself teamed up so we're hearing this story yeah
1: well we we did a radio show with tom dunn who used to be in something happens who isn't something happens still but he asked me would i learn this song galway Girl because she had nobody to sing with her so she did an instrumental i did raining down arrows and then i read this song off a piece of paper and the chord i had the chords written down and just like a thunderbolt all these texts start coming in never heard that song before that's amazing play that again so about a month after that I did the concert got her in so when I released the album that song went boom it yeah. just went absolutely mega yeah, it was
0: written by Steve Earle who's yeah and I'd already had that
1: yeah and Steve Earle I,
0: I listened last night before we came before I met you today both of them back to back and they're so Steve Earle's version of Galway Girl and your version of Galway Girl and they're both they're both very different Steve Earle, uh, Earl is from uh, Texas and he sings it with a sort of deep south accent and he's like an American coming to Ireland and meets a girl and I just thought it was so much more charming than an Irish guy from wherever yeah, yeah goes yeah, out yeah. to Galway and there's yeah. just that and in fairness to Earl he's always said that you, your version has, will, will, will go down and is much more memorable than his one yeah
1: yeah yeah which is pretty awesome I mean um, and it was an accident and in fact there's not even a picture of me and Sharon we never did an official album cover or single cover for that that song kind of really literally came into the house and like like a big gust of wind and yeah. flipped up the table uh flooded the house and uh, it was a fluke complete fluke and it kind of turned my career upside down in a bit of a way in that
0: so it was i'm just reading here it was the biggest selling single in Ireland 2 years in a row which i don't know about that's ever happened before yeah yeah it was the biggest it was the most downloaded album 2 years in a row 2007 yeah. 2008 mm-hmm we have a friend sitting quietly with a beard in the corner Shane uh, Whelan who used it for a Bulmers ad which gave it even more yeah. fame and it became this as you said tsunami or, or, yeah. or you know tornado yeah.
1: that came to. and, and, it, ended up, and it, ended up, it ended up on that movie P.S. I Love You which, which my name ends up on the poster in the movie appearing tonight Monday and then they go in and there's a guy playing the song on the stage and not a cent if anyone's listening came my way All we're right. going to have well
0: I, I think the person to <clears throat> take that up is our former Taoiseach and yeah, he yeah. can have a word with his daughter because she wrote the, oh yeah, yeah she wrote yeah. the book anyway well, then, Cecilia if you're listening money didn't get paid it's probably down in uh, Phoenix
1: Park under a tree yeah oh God. goo goober. goo anyway but that, that song that was so powerful that anything that I did after that was in the shadow of that and, and, and so uh, and you don't like this well, I I love singing the song. I like playing it as part of. No, I don't. Mean you don't like Galway yeah, Girl, but you I don't mean, like when one no, thing becomes no, really big. But I yeah, I I like the fact that now I can that July is as big is as big as it, if not bigger. When I play Shot in the Dark afternoon album, I can play it after Galway Girl, and people still buzz off it. So right, I want people to be, to come and see me to experience that. Not also, it's not the best thing I've ever done. You know, that's that's yeah. the only thing that annoys me. And then we ended up with a new studio album. Strawberry Blood uh, was came out two weeks after my first daughter was born. So I was in a bit of a funny space when that came out. I've got this war paint on, and I kind of wasn't I wasn't wearing the cowboy hat anymore. I wanted to be on the other side. The kind of um, dead man. Oh, right. Yeah. Johnny Depp. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I just was going through, I think I was putting on my war paint because it was literally... Uh, the year of the nails, I 30, was 33, which is born and risen again. and So I was coming into fatherhood. And uh, yeah, it was a very scary part of my life, to be honest, to become a father for the first time, putting out another album. So what was scary, the responsibility? Yeah, the responsibility and also the Celtic Tiger was starting to um, crumble. crumble and leave town just uh, getting got myself into a situation, you know, you buy a property and all of a sudden you can't afford to have it and you can't get rid of it. And like every other poor fucker around Ireland um, it was a hard hard time for a lot of people, I'm not saying that uh, but I definitely felt the sting of it, you know. Um, so, I mean, without being
0: prying too much, you're a rock star but you had the same problems everyone had when the Irish economy collapsed, yeah? People couldn't afford uh, to come absolutely. out to your
1: gig. Yeah, well, so basically, I'm I'm the last as somebody said to me music, cinema, theatre are the last on your list of luxuries when you're skint they're all down at the end so that's when I felt wow gone from the biggest download for two years in a row I mean you take that into consideration when you're when you're about to borrow something that you think that you're going to be in there with a you know you think you're going to be filling out the big venues still and also taking into consideration that people in my age group also start marrying and have kids. If you add up what it costs to come in from Scaries or Dalky or somewhere like that into Dublin City with your partner, including babysitting and a taxi and all that and a meal and a few yeah, drinks, two hundred euro yeah. at least. Yeah. Ticket, you know. But you're
0: great because I mean I've been up in Scaries <clears throat> and I'd say Monday's playing. And yeah, but so
1: I found out. I found literally
0: it. that I have you to. Went go- to them. I have to go to them now. Yeah. When you look back on, you know, getting through all of that, the last 20 years, through the ups and the downs, someone else is in fifth year in school in an Irish town and is planning to do what you did. What would you advise them?
1: Be um, like a hawk and just watch what's going on. Like, Basically, if you want to write, read. You know, If you want to be a musician, go to lots and lots and lots of gigs. When you think you've got a bank full of songs... I'd say six songs six really good songs ask your friends what they think of them play as much as you can play and learn as many covers as you can because by learning covers you're kind of subconsciously learning how a great song is crafted and when you have your bank of six songs and someone asks you to sing get up and sing them with all your heart and um, regarding the business end of it don't do anything too fast remember that it's yours and it's unique and it, it, uh, it, it's very valuable in every sense, so don't sell it cheaply. Monday, it's
0: been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm going to let you sing us out without your guitar, but pick one of your songs to play us out. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And uh, I want to come back in 10 years' time when uh, albums number seven, eight, nine, and ten have been released. So tell me where we're going at, and thank you very much for coming on the, on the podcast.
1: Thanks a million. Um, In my head, I was going to pick this one. It's called Thanks for the Stone, and it's my dad's favourite song that I wrote when I was a chap.
2: Well, I wonder, is there any room left on board for my troubles? I guess I could blow them away in bubbles, but a bubble would burst. Thanks for the storm! Thanks for the storm! for the stone Thanks for the stone I roll it around round my knuckles And didn't sleep on the seabed With the muscles and the cockles As I lay on my bed I drift into a dream Sitting on the rocks Naked drinks by the splashing sea I'm making the paper boats Out of my song, sailing it free, sailing it free We were sailing, 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 sailing